0: Before listening to this podcast I just wanted to make some a legal disclaimer. Our guest today is a member of the, the uh, National Health Service and she's doing some amazing work. The discussions in this podcast today are going to push the boundaries of what we think about modern medicine and how we do it. This podcast has no reflection on the amazing work that our doctors, our nurses and our public sector people are doing out there every day. I hope that this podcast is really going to open your minds to thinking different and taking amazing choices and really helping those who are the most vulnerable and helping support those people in our NHS and our other public services that do an amazing job every day. Welcome to the Talking Minds podcast. Come join us as we chat about a whole host of mindset-related issues, giving you both the male and female perspective. Don't miss out on the exciting interviews we'll be conducted with some truly inspirational guests. My name is Marcus Matthews, and I'm a Rapid Transformational Therapist whose quest is to transform people's minds to reach their own personal greatness.
1: My name is Tracy Carroll. I'm a Rapid Transformational Therapy practitioner, And my mission is to end the stigma surrounding mental health issues and show people they no longer need to suffer in silence.
0: Begin. Good morning, everybody. I say good morning. Tracy, we do this every time, don't I? Say good morning. Welcome to the good Talking Mind podcast. Yeah, it may evening. be morning, it may be afternoon, it may be evening. Do you know what? You may be in the UK, you may be in India, Australia, wherever you are. Welcome to the next instalment on our journey to abundance, um, which is all about choice. So, Lisa Nichols says that most people choose the same mistakes the same silence, the same choices again and again. But ask yourself this, are you willing to make a different choice, one that could possibly change who you are for the better? What are you willing to do to become your best? This series on uh, the journey to abundance started with abundance and what that means to people. We then talked about fear, turning fear into fun accountability into action and today i believe this will be a game changer we're going to be talking about choice and we've got a special guest today and i'm really chuffed because this special guest um is a neonatal nurse uh, in the nhs so as most people know i'm from the i was a police officer so nicola etheridge is with us today and i am going to do something amazing today i'm going to try and shut up and let tracy do it so i'm going to pass it over to tracy tracy Crack on.
1: (laughs) It's totally stolen my intro. (laughs) (laughs) You can tell we
0: don't plan this. I'm going to have a cup of tea. Carry on.
1: (laughs) We don't plan this, no. Um, Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to all our listeners. And this morning, yes, we are very honoured to have a wonderful guest of Nicola Etheridge. She is a senior neonatal nurse, um, has been for the last 30 years, and she has got some brilliant things to tell us about choice. Um, about the different choices that we make in life and how it can affect our offspring and how even making the choice to listen to or question what the medical profession says um, can be life-changing. So without further ado, um, come and tell us about yourself, about uh, a little bit about your story, Nicola.
2: Okay. Hi. So hi, everybody. My name, yeah, I'm Nicola Etheridge. Um, and as Tracy said, I'm a neonatal nurse. Um, I have been for a long time now, um, but I, yeah, I've always um, loved looking after babies. I still really enjoy my job. But one of I've got three children, and my middle child was very unwell back in 2009. So unwell that he didn't go to school for two years. He then ended up. Not only did he have um, physical health problems, he ended up with agoraphobia. Um, it's a really long journey, and that journey with him led me on a journey as well, um, questioning um, why he was ill, what illness is, whether food makes a difference, lifestyle choices, and it led me on a whole journey to a whole branch of medicine called functional medicine, which is now um, my absolute passion and obsession. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, I have actually done some intravenous nutrient therapy training as well. Um, oh, wow. so I, yeah, I worked last year doing that in London, but I'm not currently um, practicing that. But that's uh, a whole nother story where you're <laughs> having cancer with high dose vitamins and things like that. That's So, yeah, so I'm basically um, a very unusual nurse in that I question a lot of things in the med- current medical setup, in what we call the allopathic setup. Yeah. Uh, and I'm more into the integrative, um, also molecular functional uh functional side mm-hmm. so that's my basic journey and I do an awful lot of um, ad, um just advising people on diet lifestyle but only in my spare time as um as a free thing rather than um anything official
1: yeah because it must be a little bit hard because as much as you may uh, internally question the the medical profession um, and the doctors, obviously you've got to be a bit careful not to be questioning them um, in your capacity as a nurse. Yeah, definitely, yeah, yeah. So tell us with your son, what was it that the medical profession told you to do, suggested that you do? Um, Obviously what we were talking about a little bit earlier, obviously they led you down a certain path, which you followed initially. Um, where, where did that lead?
2: Yeah, well, he, was, um, he basically um, had uh, Crohn's disease when he yeah. was year nine, which is an autoimmune disease. And an autoimmune disease is where your body attacks itself. In Crohn's disease, it attacks the bowel. Um, so the current conventional allopathic treatment is to um, stop your immune system from doing that by giving you what they call immunosuppressants. So drugs to suppress your immune system, lots of steroids. Um, mm-hmm a quite ridiculous diet actually where you don't have any fiber everything's just white and bland and sugar filled and you know white bread no white rice. no no nutrients no, no nutrients. depleted um we run under great almond street but you know all great almond street they must know best yeah but he just became sicker and sicker and uh, more and more unwell well, so i didn't go to school for two and a half years was actually an athlete
1: oh um, my goodness
2: couldn't follow his passion so, but a long story, um, it then led to him having, a, I think, because he was nutrient depleted, mm-hmm. then led to him having a tumour in his spine, through which he's had to have two vertebrae removed. Um, he has got like metal work in his back and he is fine. Um, mm-hmm. But I had one friend, actually, who only takes one person in your life.
1: <laughs> yeah, spark <laughs> to make, that little bit of question.
2: Yeah, to make you change your choices yeah um, and this one friend kept saying oh you know nutrition nutrition and in the end I went to a seminar with her and that's mm-hmm. what he changed it was a guy called Philip Day don't know if anyone's heard of him but it was he's a journalist actually right and him that sparked hang on a minute there's another one right. yeah if I build, if we focus on building up his immune system we've been given an immune system for a reason the yeah. cure for cancer is there it's called the immune system yeah cure for a lot of disease and it's the cure for autoimmune disease so we then focused on building up his immune system um, and gradually he improved and he's now 25 and he's fit and well but it was a very long journey um, with with him being unwell but it's totally changed everything um, in our life
0: can i ask a question because you're a medical professional and i don't want to put you on the spot here (laughs) however i've been reading a lot about mitochondria yeah And there's a lot of stuff that's happening with stem cell research. And Bruce Lipton, I've spoken about this before. Bruce Lipton talked about this thing. about He did an experiment. And for those who don't know, um, Bruce Lipton is into all this stuff that we're talking about. But he started off as a stem cell researcher back in the 70s. Um, He's an epigeneticist. And he talked about stem cells and the fact that they got three Petri dishes and did an experiment where they put the stem cells into the three different Petri dishes and then um, put them in a different environment physical environment, obviously. And then they grew into different things. Um, And there's a lot of research being done at the moment on um, mitochondria and the foods that we put in our body and the way that the lifestyle and the fact that that mitochondria is the building blocks to everything. So when we start destroying the mitochondria, when we start actually not feeding that stuff and that is from a mental thing as well as nurturing our body... Um, that those cells can't recover. And that's when we do get things like cancers and we do get stuff like this. And it's and it's now being proven, I know in the States they're doing a lot now, that things like transient meditation, RTT, the stuff that we do, um, about how the mind influences the body. And when it influences the body, it actually, cells now are like mini brains. So actually it's not just about our mind and how we feed our mind both mentally and f- but well, feed our body, sorry, mentally and physically has a massive impact. And, and just listening to that story and what you were saying about actually stripping away those nutrients and, and stripping away that stuff. I just wondered in the NHS at the moment, is that something that's being spoken about? Because I know that it's, it's not groundbreaking. They've known it for lot of time they're just now only with science they're only starting to prove it and i'm wondering whether that is actually is it permeating to the nhs now
2: well firstly to answer that i would 100% agree that the whole mitochondria thing yeah that's Mm. into that the mitochondria is basically the powerhouse of the cell if that's not functioning Mm. properly then your body and your mind as a whole will not function well um, the whole um, science of epigenetics is a huge one. So basically, people think, oh, it's a genetic link, it's a genetic cause. Pretty irrelevant. And in a, a less, maybe about 2% of diseases, you know, you're born with Down syndrome, say, or things like that. But anything else, you can't just say cancer's genetic. It's not. It's not genetics. It's all epigenetics. So basically, for people that don't know, genetics loads the gun, but epigenetics pulls the trigger. So if you had identical twins, they've got the same genetic code. And one was grown, grew up in the Himalayan mountains, eating organic food, drinking natural water, no toxins, no Wi-Fi, etc. They will have a totally different set of diseases. In fact, they probably wouldn't have any. To the other identical twin that grew up in New York, say, eating the standard American diet, drinking fizzy drinks and eating donuts. So epigenetics is an absolutely massive thing, which people aren't aware of. A lot of people. I think it's becoming a bit more talked about. Um, But in from the NHS, 100 percent, no, (laughs) nobody is really aware of that or what does doesn't want to know about that. And the whole role of nutrition in health is not really still still filtering into the NHS. So the NHS have their dietitians who are very different to the nutritionists that you will see in the functional medicine world. yeah, so you know the the that whole thing is very different um in the NHS.
1: You're talking just quickly there, you're talking about um that their nutritionists are very different. Uh, I had my own experience. My youngest son um has always had um issues we'll call, with his eating and it's a lot better than it was, but I recall um twice in his life actually we've been to dietitians. And once, I think he was, oh, I don't know, maybe six or seven. And I was so concerned for his health. And I'd kind of orchestrated it and thought, right, he won't listen to me. He won't eat fruit. He won't eat vegetables. I've got to, I've got to do something. And I thought, right, I orchestrated this. We went along to this nutritionist. It was all through the doctors. And I thought, she's going to sit there and say, Daniel, you must eat this, this and this. Because otherwise, this is what's going to happen. You're going to get ill or your muscles aren't going to work properly, blah, blah, blah. And she completely burst my bubble. And not only did she burst my bubble, she just ruined everything. Because we did the usual do a food diary. And so we took that back to her. And I I still vividly remember it. And she sat there and she said, oh, okay. Now, bearing in mind at this point, he was eating a bit of cereal. Um, He loved peanut butter um so he would have peanut butter on toast and he ate yogurts but there there was nothing of what we know to be healthy food in there and um she said oh that's okay because you're getting a bit of um you're getting some calcium from the yogurts and you're getting the protein from the peanut butter I think you're doing really well and my face and I just thought you've just you've just destroyed everything because you are a in quotes professional and you've just given my child the permission to mistreat his body and it was at that point i was just like i was flabbergasted and that just when you said oh they're very different nutritionists that was a really prime example
0: yeah Yeah, it's interesting you say that i remember um michelle with harry when he was uh, when he was younger he was very similar he was very slim and i remember um her being Michelle being told, Well, the best thing to do is, is um, you know, because they've always had vegetables. To be fair, we've, we eat relatively healthy. Um, but I remember them saying to Michelle, Yeah, well, give him some chips that'll fatten him up. And you only need to look at hospitals and stuff. And, and I just wanted to ask this question of you actually, just leading into this <coughs> is that my experience of working in the police, in working alongside the NHS, um doctors paramedics is that they themselves are just so stressed out that they're not feeding their bodies with the nutrition and you know i think that the issue is we talk a lot and you hear it in the news about there's not enough money for the nhs there's not enough money for that i think there is personally but i think we spend more time fighting fires and coping than feeding our minds and our bodies and and this is going to be quite a political question but do you think the the way in which nice guidelines work actually blocks innovation and keeps us where we are?
2: Yes, I yeah, I would totally agree with that. It does. I'm not a fan of nice guidelines at all. Um, a lot of them, um, a lot of re- this opens up a whole other political thing, really, um, to do with big pharma, big pharma, um, you know, the government, they're all linked, they're all paid by each other. Um, It's a whole scary world when you start to delve into it. And certain nice guidelines um, come about because of pharmaceutical trials that recommend certain drugs, but they're all in each other's pockets. So the guidelines will come out because that's what's been shown to be the best treatment. But that's because they've manufactured the data to say that for yeah. financial gain. So, yeah, I'm not some nice guidelines. Yeah, not all of them, but a lot of them, I would say that they're not perfect. They're not great. And in fact, sometimes they're actually harmful. I think they don't feature food. Um, you know, how can we have well, they, you've got McDonald's in hospitals, you know, in the four in the um, the food, the four in um, Addenbrook's. Mm. they've got mcdonald's they've got burger king in guys and st thomas's people you know people do have a choice but they don't because it's there mm. so yeah the, the nice and I, I agree with you putting more money into the nhs is not the answer it's not going to help you could build twice as many hospitals as we've got now but until people start to learn or we start to know why we are unwell and take personal responsibility and have the right choices in our life, then we're just going to carry on with chronic disease is going to get worse and worse and worse. And having more nurses and doctors is, is not the answer at all.
0: Yeah. And I think one of the things that I, I just want to, because I don't want to, I certainly don't want to bash the NHS because what I found personally, and this is just from using the NHS, but also being a police officer who comes into the NHS spoken to doctors spoken to nurses and all the rest of it they are under an immense pressure as are all our public sector services and a lot of it comes from bureaucracy it comes from policy because like you say it's driven by something that is political it's driven by all that sort of stuff um and i think that it it takes courage for people to stand up and say i'm not accepting this my reason for leaving the police was I absolutely miss doing that job. I love being a police officer, but I had to make a choice that I wasn't serving the public in the way that we should do. And I think many nurses and doctors feel that way, not all of them. Um, And I think the ones, and and I'm only asking this question to see if it is true of of the NHS, is that those like yourself who are passionate about people, that are passionate about actually helping people and you're doing it from that, not from a selfish point of view, you have to be selfish to look after yourself, but um, do you find that the people that rise to the top in the NHS are the ones that are willing to sacrifice themselves to get that promotion, to get that title? Ego is, is massive in the police, would you say that's the same in, in the NHS?
2: Yeah, yeah definitely, ego is massive in the NHS, um, particularly with, um, I not want to be horrible about doctors, but I'd say more so maybe in the medical profession than in the nursing profession, although definitely to some extent with nurses as well. But there is a lot of ego. Yeah, definitely. Um, And I don't think that, you know, I I don't want to slug the NHS off. It's paid my salary since the 80s. But you go to, you know, you go to your GP with, say, um, a problem with your knee and you have no choice as to how you get that sorted unless you want to pay. So you have to be funneled into the system where you have um, an X-ray, you have an MRI. They want to do a they want to give you steroids injections, um, a knee replacement, but they don't say right. So why is your knee hurting? Let's look at the underlying cause. Let's let's refer you to an osteopath or a chiropractor. If you want to go down that line, you have to pay. Or with a mental health issue, if you wanted to have treatment, you can only have what treatment the NHS will give you. If you want to go for other treatments you've got to pay and so many people can't afford to pay you know with me with premature babies you have a lot of issues with what's called reflux um gastric reflux on babies when lots of babies do for lots of different reasons but they will just put you on proton pump inhibitors even these babies um which is then going to affect their digestion for the rest of their life and their nutrient absorption for the rest of their life not so why has this baby got Um, reflux let's have a look at what's happening is it because they had a very traumatic delivery um, and they need to have some chiropractic adjustments with craniosacral therapy and um, you know is it because they need their milk changing you know we we never look um, in the NHS at the underlying cause and we only have the choice of going the way that we are funneled in the NHS unless we can afford to pay for it so that that to me is where it's it's wrong
0: yeah. yeah and and for somebody who's passionate about the public sector as I am actually one of the, I think one of the biggest things is is that the private sector can actually have a gr- a great impact but I think one of the biggest problems is is that um it's very risk averse in many ways so the choices that are normally made by mm-hmm. senior managers politicians is let's let's palm that risk off just in case something goes wrong rather than really spending that time. And it was beautiful that you said, because I'm really big on this in, in the why we look at the what and the how, but we never look at the why. And yes, there is a social, there is a social problem. Um, but if you can't, like you said, if you go to a hospital and the sandwiches that you, well, sandwiches themselves, but are covered in mayonnaise and they're, you know, oh you've got a McDonald's, you know, there is a responsibility not to sell off and I think it will get worse not to sell off that and I think that the sort of stuff that we do with RTT just taking it back to mental health but if if you can get more people accessing that sort of therapy early on then they're not going to be just being given drugs they're not going to be just given this so actually it is although yes private practice may look as though it's more expensive or these alternative therapies or getting people in who do things slightly different and it is about choice. Some people may not want to go down that route. But actually, they should be given the option. There should be maybe even a payment plan is that, you know, we can't offer this, but we know this works. This is an option. Um, because I know when my dad, I can't remember what he had, he was in Salford Royal for something. And my mu- he, he was like, we're not paying private. We're not going private. You know, it's the NHS. And in the end, my mum just went and paid to go and see a private consultant but the change by doing that was massive so we shouldn't have to do that but actually you do have a choice and i'm not saying that people and and i think when it comes to choice and money and this is what tracy and i will talk about with clients a lot is i can't afford that i can't afford that so they go okay you have a choice then You've been going to counseling. I'm not saying there's not anything wrong with counselors, but you've been te- you've told me you've gone to this counselor for the past five years every month and you're paying 50 quid and it's not working. Yeah. So you're doing the same thing over and over and over and over again, you know, and nothing's. Nothing's changing. So if you don't make those changes, if you don't go, actually, I've got to make a choice now and take a risk, and it may or may not work, but do your study. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. And I think the more people that stand up and say, I'm not accepting it. So when I had my the breakdown I had, they went, Oh, um, well, we'll get you in with a counselor and we'll give you some drugs. And I just went, No, I want to know why. I then went into the mental health system. Nobody could tell me why. And luckily I found RTT, that sorted me right out. And that's why I've led me on the journey to do what I do now. But the fact is, is that nobody told me about any of that stuff. It it, it was, have some drugs, go and talk about it. That is the default option for most mental health in the NHS now. And then we wonder why people then have mental health, then they turn to alcoholism, then they turn to drugs that then has a bigger impact. Because of that bad lifestyle, they then start to have problems with their heart, they start to get cancers and then that starts to cost more money yeah so yeah tell me what your thoughts are on that
2: yeah i was gonna say as well you know just to from a doctor's point from the doctor's point of view um they they just they let's say ignorance is the wrong word but they don't know a lot of these things so in their medical training they don't they have some of them have no training in nutrition at all yeah, yeah every single cell in our body or the mitochondria that's how they work so to think you know that their, their training is heavily funded especially in america by the pharmaceutical industry mm. um and everything they do is <coughs> excuse me is sponsored by that and even in the uk um so they are trained to you have this disease that therefore that equals this medication they, they have zero training in nutritional therapy. So they don't look at um, anybody from a physical or mental health point of view and think, so what nutrients might they be lacking in that's caused this to happen? They're just, oh, we need to give this citalopram or whatever to um, increase their serotonin uptake. You know, they, they don't know. That's the sad thing. And so it needs to come right back to medical training, things as, as nursing training, things like that, to, to actually give people a choice and to to make a change.
0: Yeah, I mean, a, a great analogy, I always like to use kind of mechanics and stuff, but it's a, a little bit if you're a Formula One driver or a fast jet pilot, and if you didn't know how the engineering in your aircraft or your car work, you don't need to be an engineer, but if you didn't know all the other stuff and all the other alternatives, when you're at 30,000 feet doing Mach 3 and something goes wrong, if you don't know the underlying stuff and how you can get the best out of the performance of that aircraft, you're going to die, you know, um, uh, and it's and it's the same really with your patients if you're a if you're a doctor or a nurse, and your patient isn't getting better, so what you do is you say, "Oh, we'll just up the doses of drugs it, it may give slight relief, but it's not actually gonna solve the problem and and I actually think a lot of it is down to stress and tick boxes and targets um and the whole political system yeah,
2: um
0: yeah. and and i don't wanna I don't wanna harp on on about that um but I think I think it's really great what you're doing in regards to that. I just wondered, what, are the, what are the, when you see parents coming through, and especially when they've got small children that may have got problems, how do, they, how do they react when they come through all this sort of system? What are their thoughts, their feelings, and that sort of thing? What are the actual patients? How do you find patients react to the, that medication and, and then the, the things that you do?
2: Yeah, well, obviously, my patients can't actually speak, and so it's the parents that, you know, are the baby's advocates. But everybody will basically think that the doctor's know best. And if the doctors say they need this, they need that, they need that medication, they need this treatment, then the parents will just go along with it most of the time. The sad thing is that you get the occasional parent who has done some research, who knows a bit more about it, and they are really frowned upon by us doctors and nurses, like, oh, they're difficult parents, they don't want the vitamin K, for example, <clears throat> which is the injection that every baby's given at delivery. Or if parents have done some research and they really don't want, or they want to question the safety of vaccines, um, that's frowned upon. Any, any parent that goes outside of the box is basically frowned upon by most people and by most nurses and doctors that they're classed as difficult parents if they say oh I don't want my why are you doing that or I don't you know what one example is um, and going back to before is everything is to do with um, with the guidelines but it's also massively to do with litigation. Yeah. So they don't want to make, they have to do tick boxes, because if then someone comes to see them, they've got, they can then say and call. well, we've got all these tick boxes ticked, we did everything right. Because, you know, one one example in baiting a newborn baby is the administration of intravenous antibiotics, which I think we massively um, over-prescribe. So we have tick boxes for the mums that have delivered their babies. If the mums have certain symptoms like, a raised temperature or different on the sepsis bundle, things like that, that flags up this tick box and then the babies have to be given antibiotics. Um, Sometimes they're needed, I'm not saying they're not, but 99% of the time they're not needed. Um, They're given what's called prophylactically, so just in case. So you take blood tests, you start the baby on antibiotics for a minimum of 48 hours. If everything comes back negative, the antibiotics are stopped. And basically that baby never needed them. And that has then affected that baby's gut flora for the first year of its life. Mm. So that's not a good thing, which no one really knows. You know, the doctors and nurses don't really know that. Um, So we have all these babies overmed at the minute, actually. I was at work. I've just worked two 14-hour shifts yesterday and the day before. Um, And we've got eight babies on the postnatal ward on intravenous antibiotics. But those parents, and most of those, I'd say probably none of them will actually need them but they'll all be given them they'll all have their gut microbiome affected um but if you had a parent that was to say oh hang on a minute why i don't really think well, i want this they'd be seen as
1: difficult yeah because they're not they cannot conform in either they're not nice. sitting in the box nicely yeah. like they're expected yeah, yeah, to yeah. and it's just wrong it's
2: it, it's it's just wrong but i if i say anything oh that's the nice guideline that's what we have to do so i would I try and do my functional medicine bit by trying to get some of these parents and talking to them about probiotics and just saying, look, you know, this is going to affect your baby's gut. If you're breastfeeding, take some probiotics. If you're not, then give some to the baby. Um, I'm,
1: you know, that's not, I'm not doing anything wrong. by saying No. And then the thing is, you're not even saying to them, Oh, don't have that done because this is what's going to happen. You're just saying, right, what's just happened because it had to happen under the NICE guidelines. Um, that's going to cause this so do that so that you kind of preempt any other issues coming forward but what about all the other millions of nurses out there who aren't taking that opportunity to give that advice and who maybe don't know what you know um those babies are growing up with ineffective gut gut flora aren't they
2: yeah definitely and you know a lot of them are then fed formula milk Um, and that's another thing you know people get um, or why is my baby vomiting? Or why has it got <clears throat> reflux on formula milk? And and I say to them, at the end of the day, that was made for a cow. You know, okay, it has its place sometimes, but it was made for a baby cow, and yet we expect our tiny little newborn premature babies to tolerate it. Mm. You know, you, people just don't see this. They don't need a bigger picture. They don't question. No, no, they don't. They just think that the doctors and the nurses know best. Mm. <clears throat>
0: and i think bringing it back to what we were saying i just i've just made a couple and we can we, we can talk about vaccines we can talk about food we can talk about all these sort of things but i what i put on here is is that actually and i'm one of those parents <laughs> so i will go and find out i'll find from different sources i'm not saying that you shouldn't go on the internet and start reading everything and believe everything but equally don't necessarily believe we're all human we all make mistakes and everybody's at different stages of their career um And I remember talking to something about somebody who had cancer. I think it was, I think it was a friend. Yeah, it was a friend of hers. And the doctor said to 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 friend, "You, I think it was stage four cancer. You've got a five percent chance of survival." What she probably heard was, "You've got a ninety five percent chance of dying." So she said, "Well, go and see this guy, um, who was kind of one of the best." Um, doctors in the world for doing this sort of stuff. And his reaction was different because what he said was, I'm the best at doing this job and this is what we're going to do. There was no statistics. There was no live or die. It was, this is what I'm going to do and allowing to challenge that. And I think for me, and this is the rebel coming out, and it's one of the reasons why I left my job. But for me, it's about taking that information in, saying why that information is pertinent and challenging it And the most important thing I find is, is what is the reaction of that person who's giving you the information? So when you say, what effect will this have? Are there any side effects? What are the stuff that's going to happen? If they start to get quite defensive, for me, alarm bells would start ringing because what that person is doing is just going through a policy or a rote. They've not challenged where that information is. They've not understood where that information is. And I found that personally a lot in um in my old job when I was a police officer when I used to say to senior officers okay that's great yeah we'll do that but where's the value and then we're like, what do you mean where's the value well we're doing all this but I don't understand I, I'm just trying to understand how that makes life better for victims for police officers for, where is the value in that um and I was at the Met yesterday and this is quite an interesting one on wellbeing, is that I spoke to the person who was actually doing the organizing it. It was a PC and she had a, I think it was a Sergeant or an inspector come into one of the wellbeing events and said, is there anything I can do to help? Um, and she said, Oh yeah, yeah. Why are you here? And his answer was, Oh, well, I need to, I need to tick a box over wellbeing so that I can get my next promotion. And she told him to F off. Good. And, and, a, and a lot of the time, that's it, isn't it? It's about what tick boxes do we need to go through? And, those, and it comes from the right place. I think we're not dissing the NHS. It's a big organisation. There is only so much money. There's only so many doctors and nurses. They have to put rules in place. But again, I think as a parent, even as a human, actually responsibility is really important. I mean, I don't know what you feel about that, but a lot of people will come to the NHS and we give a lot in the nhs um and i talk a lot to my clients about this about breathing so if you're giving 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 which the nhs does you get worn out you don't actually fill your own cup back up so you don't breathe back in again and sometimes you need to say actually no we can only provide this however here are the other options that you can consider and this is the reason why and i think that's perfectly acceptable and that's where private medicine can come in that's where using alternative methods can come in Because those that can afford it can go, actually, no, I don't want to be on drugs. Thank you for passing me through that. And that should be challenged. And I'm personally trying to work with my local CCG to look at how can you challenge what we're doing to help us. And working as a team, rather than saying holistic therapy or different different therapies are, oh, they're not nice guidelines, therefore we can't use them. I start to say, actually things aren't working, let's think of different choices. I think that's start. I think that's starting to happen, but I don't know what your experience is in the NHS. Are they starting to open up to different ways of doing things and thinking?
2: I, I think some GPs are maybe starting to open up, but I don't think in the hospital they are really, because they are far too narrow-minded in their policies and procedures and guidelines to ever really think out of the box. Mm. Um, but I think there are um, some GPs that are coming through now that um, are, are taking a much more lifestyle approach. A guy called Rangan Chatterjee, I don't know if you've heard of him. I have heard of I have yeah. heard, yeah. He's a great guy and he's having a big impact. Another guy I absolutely love is called Asim Mohotra. He's a conventional NHS cardiologist who's totally speaking out and gets in trouble sometimes for his views on statins. Um, he's he's totally seen through that. that you know how dangerous they are how they're a big farmer thing they're just make a money-making thing um there's a guy called Rupi Ayugula who's a GP who cured his own atrial fibrillation through diet he used to work at Basildon actually where I work um so there are a few but I don't think there are many hospital doctors they're they are far too um the same as the nurses we're far too funneled into what we're told and you know even Things like um, we're told we have informed consent, yeah, for our parents or our babies or just patients. But we only give one side of anything. So they're not really being informed. No, informed. no. no they're being informed from one side, but not not like, well, this, this could happen. Or they're not properly being, they're not given informed consent. Um, but then I also think it goes back to schooling, and that's where we need to change everything, education. Yeah. The children now are just taught that science is settled and they're not taught critical thinking, how yeah. to think outside the box. And if children start to question things, then oh no, that's you know, the, it needs to come right back to schooling and being taught right from the beginning. It you know, it's a massive problem of how to change the system, and you, and it's a huge system to try and change. But obviously, small change sometimes I get a bit overwhelmed, and think, what What's the point? <laughs> what's the <laughs> I point? But yeah, but you know we've got to keep going and small voices and small changes do make a difference they mm.
0: do. yeah i'm just gonna something just i had a quote that i wrote down here it's a guy called david goggins i don't know if you know who david goggins is he's, he's um he's an ex navy seal he's a machine um but he's very much into and and, and i talked about this before a, a lot of people at elite levels navy seals obviously work on the mind and one of the things that he says is This is a quote that I got today. It says, it's so easy to be great nowadays because everyone is weak. If you have any mental toughness, if you have any fraction of self-discipline, the ability uh, to not want to do it, but still to do it, if you can get through doing the things you hate to do, on the other side is greatness. And I'm only bringing that up because I think it's really important for those people that are pushing the envelope, if anybody's listening to this, if they are in the public sector, and like you've just said there, is it worth it? Do you know what it is? Just keep going. Obviously, protect yourself. You've got to do that. I I, I pretty much put myself far too out there. Um, and that's the reason why I made the choice to leave because my purpose was bigger than what I was doing. But we need people like you in the NHS, you know, doing what you're doing. Um, but yeah, I, I, think, I think, yeah, there's an opportunity. Things are that bad. There's an opportunity to change. I think we should. Tracy?
1: Yeah I just um, touching on what both of you have said actually there when you look at it uh, as the the institution of the NHS and specifically the the hospitals I don't see that that's where the change is going to come from I see that it's going to be people like us who are making waves I see it as those some of those GPs that you've mentioned I've actually had um, some referrals from um, a GP I know because their patients, and she's tried everything she can under the guidelines that they're doing. But she sees that it's not all about the drugs, it's not all about the route that they're told to take the patients down. So, which is obviously very beneficial for me and for the patients. But I think it's those people, um, the likes of Jackie that we both know, Nicola, just making these waves, showing people and teaching them to question it. And I actually think it's going to be something that's going to change from the ground up. I don't think you're ever going to see the news headlines that the NHS have sacked everyone and decided that having a whole new way of working and this is how it's going to be. I think it will get to the point that so many people will question that the NHS will have to change. There will be no choice.
0: Um, On that point, I've got a massive public sector background. and This is nothing to do with medicine, but it's just an example of where if you look at the way that we do things as a pyramid, the power is at the bottom, not at the top. Authority is at the top. And I don't like the word authority. I like the word responsibility. So if you're a senior doctor, you're a senior police officer, you're a senior fireman, you're a politician, you don't have authority, you have responsibility. Mm-hmm. And I worked on a project for getting broadband in. And what happened was the first centre that was put in was done from a place of authority. So we said, this is what you're having, this is what you're doing. It failed, and we had a really good community coordinator who came in and went, no, let's speak to people. This is what my wife does, actually, as a service designer. So um, she goes in to the public sector and does this sort of stuff. And when you, the answers are already there, people like yourself on the shop floor that are seeing it every day know the answers. But unfortunately, the ego of the people at the top, because they've got so many degrees, PhDs, go, oh, no, I must take responsibility. And good leadership is about making other leaders at the bottom so i'm really passionate about leadership and the answers for the problems in the nhs exist already what it needs is for people to take their ego out of out of the place and make a choice to go why am i here why am i a doctor am i a doctor because when i was at school i was told well if you're a doctor you'll get a position in society i'm a doctor you know i'm a i'm a superintendent i'm a senior fire officer are you doing it for the label and for the glory of yourself are you, or do you truly believe in what you, you do as a job? And if you do, then you need as somebody in a, a place of authority, a place of responsibility to speak to the people on the ground and go, listen, this isn't working. What other choices do we have? And tell me why that choice is better and then take the risk. And it goes back to what we said about abundance risk comes with fear. But if you calculate that risk, And ask yourself this question, is it working? No. Do we try something else? Yes. Actually, you can look at it as if it goes wrong, we're in the crap. Or we could say, if it goes right, how many lives can we save? Mm. And I think that's the important way of looking at it. It's saying, what is the choice? If we stay here, people are still going to die. People are going to be ill. It's going to go worse. Or do we look at something else? And Like you say, baby steps. start looking at nutrition, start speaking to people and even allowing people to have a voice and challenge. Because I think that's the biggest thing is that, and I don't know if you I found this, is that when I challenged with data and with information, it was, we need to shut that person up rather than going, actually, although that person only has this rank or this position, that makes sense. Let's open up and think about that. You can still get the promotion. It's still there because actually if the if the output works, then great. But then everybody moves forward and that's what abundance is about. It's about looking at this is why we say it's not about wealth. Mm -hmm. Abundance is about how do we work together tribally and look at all that stuff, challenge each other, get that information, get the right reactions, and then move up. But if you can't challenge, which I know in the NHS you probably can't.
2: No. Um yeah, that's an interesting one actually. If you do try and challenge certain things then you can be in trouble. So even this year, every year it rears its up the flu vaccine rears its ugly head. <laughs> um, and we're told that we have to have it and we're told all the reasons for it. Well I've done a lot of a lot of research about the flu vaccine and I'm not having that. No way. We don't have to, it's not obligatory, but we're expected to. And as a senior sister I'm supposed to be what's called a flu champion. So I'm supposed to encourage others to have it. I'm supposed to give it to others. Um, but I, but Obviously, I'm not going to, and that you know, I would never have, and I would never have it. But this year, one of the consultants who was specifically allocated the flu vaccine push, um, when we were told we had to give our reasons, so she asked me, um, "Oh, have you had your flu vaccine?" And I said, "No, no." She went, "Oh, come and have it." And I said, "No, no, I don't want it." And she said, "Oh, why not?" So I said, "Well, how long have you got?" I've got <laughs> lots of reasons as to why. Um, I've done my. Re- I said, "Look, without going into details." let me just say I don't need it because I have an immune system I haven't been off sick for 15 years I'm fit and healthy my immune system will do the job well you could pass I said no I, I can't pass on something I haven't got um so we then had this discussion about it and um she then went she then just moved she was fine and she said actually she said to me oh I need to come and have a chat with you um she said I'm always coming down with things um, you know, maybe you could give me a few tips. I wanted, the irony. I know. I wanted to say, well, stop by injecting that crap wow. into your body, but I didn't. Um, anyway, two days later, my boss, my, my matron, came to me and said, "I need like to have a chat with you." The head of nursing has told my boss to discipline me. Yeah. Formal discipline for my attitude to the flu vaccine. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's just. I know. I was absolutely that gossip. happened to
0: me. I, I had a breakdown, and because I fixed myself, I got put on an unsatisfactory performance plan. I then was not allowed to go for my sergeant's thing because, because I got myself well, because yeah. I wasn't a victim, because I turned around and gone, I'm not accepting that. This is why I'm asking the question, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. If you are listening to this, this is the truth about our public sector services that there are amazing, brilliant people out there. But things aren't changing because the corporates and the pharmaceutical companies and the politicians are riding their own agenda. This is amazing. I love you. Yeah. This well, is amazing.
1: Be, how can you be disciplined? Yeah, I know. You're wanting an injection. Yeah. It's not that you turn around and and blinded at her and said stick your injection somewhere then, else.
2: No, and I said, you know, also... I, was, I said, well, I'll go and speak to her. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm quite an assertive. I'm not sure. I'm not backing coming forward. I said, I'll go and speak to her. I'll go up to her office. She went, you could lose your PIN number over this. I went, well, I'd rather go and speak to her. What exactly am I going to, does she want you to discipline me for? My refusal to have it? Well, that's, I can refuse. My attitude to it? Where, she said, well, you answered her questions in the middle of the intensive care room. Well, because she asked me in the intensive care room. Um And... There was actually, we've had, we've, I've got a colleague who's had a lot of mental health issues. He's very much a victim, actually, interestingly, very much a victim. But, and I've told her that, but it's another story. But she, they then went to approach her. She didn't want it, but she's too scared to say anything. Yeah. So I just said, um, said something to this consultant outside, like, oh, I think if you push this colleague, you may she probably will have will cry because she's just been come back from being off sick for five months with anxiety and depression. I felt that was um protecting my colleague and just giving a heads up to the consultant. Yeah no no that was seen as interfering with um her having the vaccine and I said well she can have it if she wants. I I I don't mind whether she does or doesn't. Yeah. Um, so I said so what exactly am I being disciplined for? My refusal, where I said why I didn't want it or the fact I was supporting a vulnerable colleague. Um, anyway they didn't discipline me in the end Um, but that's what you're up against and that's why you know I have to be so careful and you can't go outside of the box very easily in the NHS you really can't.
0: Yeah and this is this is why I am so passionate about the public sector Um, and this is why I left because you 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 have got that that power in your mind, you can do that, you've got that rationale, but there's a lot of people that are fearful, there are a lot of people, and that's one of the <laughs> things yeah, and, and and it was really interesting you said about that she's a victim, she's a victim because it's familiar and she's used to it, and the why, the why, the why, the why is really important. Why are people off sick? why are and what I'd like to say about this is it's not the environment that they're in, there, it's the environment that was created a long time ago, and we can talk about this, and I 'm not going to go into RTT but what i would say is if there is anybody in the nhs that is listening to this if there is anybody in any of the public sector I'll teach it. i've been there okay i've been there i've been that member of the public sector i've i've been that person in uniform um and there's this thing called um low card theory it's to do with forensics every contact leaves a trace so all these things when they happen to you you actually create all that fear you create all of that and you have a choice to be a victim or actually to go, what is important? You are important. And it doesn't mean that you have to be a rebel. You don't have to take that on, but actually know that when that person comes up to you and you feel as though you may be being bullied, because it is bullying, I'm going to say it. It is bullying. Actually, when you know where that fear has come from and when you understand it, then it makes it easier not to feel fearful. Because when you're fearful, that cortisol comes down, you go into survival mode. And the biggest buzz you can have, I found, is that when you sort the mind out and you're in those difficult situations, and I, I love it now, I laugh, I love a challenge now. I used to do before, but now it's great. I, When I was in the negative situations now, dopamine, epinephrine, all those buzzy chemicals come in and go, let's go, because I know where my fear came from and I'm now bulletproof. So there's nothing that you can do and that's what happened and that was the reason why I left the police because nobody could actually get me anymore because my mind was so clear I understood who I was and I was not gonna allow anybody to pass their fear on to me it was like you keep it it's your present I'm not having it mm-hmm. a little bit like what you did yeah. I'm probably not that tactile <laughs> that's why I left yeah. It was like Do you know what, Marcus yeah. you're great at your job but you're going nowhere fast. I made a choice. I left, but I left for the very simple reason that my purpose now is to help people in the NHS, people in the police to free themselves. So they can start to have those choices because I think once we start helping our public sector and we, and we start to help people know that they don't have to be bullied or they don't have to be pressured, then they will then start to be advocates like yourself and they'll challenge appropriately and they'll have that feeling. And, we'll get people together because it's very divisive. You find that if you watch it and you, I it all the time, split this person over here. It's just like nature, get the weaker ones out there and we'll feed on them. And then we'll hunt everybody down. It's that pack mentality. Um, but even the senior consultants and people don't understand they're doing it because they're driven by the same things that other people are selfishness inwardness. How do I keep myself alive? And that's why when you talk about all this stuff about um, drugs and it is choice, it is about choice, but that choice actually starts with you. Do you feel well? Do you feel abundant? Do you feel free? No, right. Well, if you don't, how are you going to help anybody else? And you've got to help yourself first before you can help anybody else. Because if you keep giving, you'll go into survival mode. Cortisol will come down. The cloud will come down. And then you won't have any thought and all you'll do is you'll go, what do I need to do su- to survive? Do this. Okay. I'll feed those drugs out. I'll do this. I'll do that. Cause you literally, you want to get through your 12 hour shift, go home and then probably self-medicate on a bottle of red wine and a Sara Lee Gatto. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, we have a lot of um, senior doctors and consultants at work that have certain medical conditions through lifestyle or whatever, um, and they've obviously they've medicated because you know they're consultants; they've been to see the top people. But then, quite a few of them come to me when there's no answer, and they'll say to me, oh, what can I do for like one lady who had really bad hair loss? Um, what can I do for this?" And or another one um, had some issues with her skin condition um what can i do for this they've, they've done all the medical stuff and then they come to me that's why i feel like i it's good that i'm still in the nhs yeah not yeah. the system as a whole but because so then i'll write them a program of med- of um of diet supplements life you know functional medicine has four pillars mm-hmm. diet nutrition is one exercise Um, sleep and stress management which will involve um, relaxation meditation that sort of thing so I will then write them almost a program these are senior people that can't actually sort their problems out using the current approach with their medication and quickly coming on to the thing that I'm also passionate about is my babies have no choice they Mm. have to have done to them what they have done to them we're their advocate so they have they have no choice so the mums of who are pregnant will be fear-mongered into having certain vaccines for, like, the whooping cough or the flu. That baby receives that and has no choice. And that's just, to me, that's just really sad. Um, mums make the choices for the baby and the baby has no choice. I feel every baby has a right to receive breast milk. Um, mm-hmm. But they don't, and I know sometimes they can't. But these poor little vulnerable babies, they have no choice. And that's where I think, you know, as neonatal nurses, we need to be ensuring that the best happens for these babies, but it doesn't at the minute because no one does think outside of the box. Um, So yeah, that, you know, and I still feel like I have to be there to be an advocate and to maybe try and open people's minds up to, you know, the fact that giving these little babies all these medications is not necessarily, the best thing for them
1: and the, the good thing about that is going back just a second to the other consultants and stuff who are coming to you yeah. then obviously you're, you're helping them anyway but at some point it is going to get to the point where somebody is going to present to them with similar symptoms and they're going to try all the things and then they're going to remember yeah do you know what when I tried this, this, and this for me. It didn't work for me. And what did work? Oh, yeah, I went to see, see Nicola. And they, it will slowly start to change their mentality. And you you will start to affect other people that they might actually go, well, yeah, do you know what? I was supposed to tell you to do this and this. But I know from experience myself it's not going to work. So go and see somebody like Nicola or go and see Nicola because she'll get you on the right track. So I think it's pivotal that you're you're where you are because – if you weren't, where would those consultants go? So they wouldn't be well for a start and they wouldn't have that glimmer of mm, that's the way to do it. So I agree. You're absolutely in the right place.
0: I think the other thing that needs to happen as well, and, and I'll, I'll talk to you um, off the podcast about this, is that I think I think there needs to be a space for People to feel safe um, that are working in the NHS in our public sector spaces to actually look and experience this kind of thing as well, and to understand um, that there is a different way, and actually you can do that in a safe space away from the hospital, away from your job, to to, to get the help you need. Um, I think what you're doing is is amazing. I think you know, for me as somebody who's just left the public sector who is so passionate about that space, but I made the choice to leave because I wasn't making that impact. I couldn't do it. I just think people like yourself that are still in those advocates, they need a space also where they can come together. And I think there needs to be a, a real push. And I'm passionate about getting a real push at getting these people from the various different members of the public sector that are, that know this stuff, you know, they're geniuses. They've done their work like yourself, but where they can come together because at the moment it's very much silos across the country this is what i'm finding and actually when i speak to people and and i'm starting to look to myself that i need to be that integrator now it is my duty i believe as somebody who's been in the public sector um when i was in london yesterday at the met people said are you glad to be out and i was like no (laughs) i'm not glad to be out you know i've left because i had to leave um but I'm still passionate about the NHS. I'm still passionate about the police, social services, local government, because it is the foundation of where everybody goes. And if we're sending people to a toxic place, we're going to have a toxic culture. We're going to have a toxic environment. We're going to have a toxic economy. Um, And it all links in and we need to get heroes like you together with other heroes and really get a space where people can feel supported, where we can all learn because it's all about learning, you know, and, and start this revolution, this revolution going, but yeah, it's, it's, it's been, it's been amazing. You know, I mean, is there anything else that you want to sort of get out there? What's the message that you want to get out there? And before we do the last, our last message, because that's Tracy's thing that we'll do, but is there anything else that you want to get out there? Anybody's listening to this and they, and they're really, believe in it is there anywhere that they can go to find out more information what is it that you would people this has really got to them where would you say what what they should do
2: yeah well I'd say you know maybe maybe for looking at Ron and Chatterjee he's brought out some really good books and he's a good place to start so he's um he's written three books one's to do with stress management the others are just to do with the four pillars of functional medicine he's probably a fairly easy person to start with so and chatterjee he's a gp he's a good but there's there's lots of other functional medicine practitioners out there mark hyman josh axe and um, chris Cress there's lots of guys out there that mark are,
0: hyman i've heard of yeah he's he's yeah. really good yeah
2: and they're all into basically the food is medicine and from my you know dealings with pregnant women and newborn babies um everything we put into us is important you know into us not just what we eat, but everything that goes into us plays a part in who we are and our epigenetics. And it's so important. It makes me, I almost want to cry at work with our, we've got two girls that are pregnant and they're drinking Coke. And, you know, if you put that-
0: saccharin, the, the cancer chemical.
2: Yeah, and if you put that on a plant, you'd think, well, of course the plant's died. I fed it with Coke, it needs water. But we put it into our bodies and think we're going to produce a healthy baby. And it makes me sad. So I, one of my favourite phrases is, everything you eat either feeds disease or fights disease and I know that sounds a bit weird and you think but literally everything you put in your mouth is either going to do you good or do you harm basically Um, and you want to be trying to put good things into you not just into your mouth everything everything you listen to everything you breathe everything you put on yourself is either good for you or bad for you and food is medicine and if you give your body what it needs it will heal itself. Our body has an amazing ability to heal itself, heal if we give it the right things. And another guy who's really into that is a guy called John Bergman. He's an American um, chiropractor, very sarcastic guy. I love him because I'm really sarcastic too. Um, But he is got loads of podcasts about all different sorts of, um, ailments and he yeah the, he just keeps saying the body has this innate ability to heal itself and it will heal itself it wants to heal itself the tumor is the body trying to protect itself so by cutting it out and not addressing the underlying cause that you know what we're we doing and it's going to come back uh, it's going to come back so yeah and um, that's probably my yeah
0: what i would say is is nicola you've just absolutely ruined um, um part in the podcast oh, no <laughs> brilliant if anybody knows the podcast we always ask it our last question so we're going to put you on the spot and i think i think tracy should ask it again because that was that was that was that was great that was great but i i think that if there's another one so we'll we'll start well, to wind up now we'll get tracy to her and, and i'll do the exit but that was hilarious you should i know that this is audio but you should have seen tracy's face it was hilarious it was um, just a picture yeah go on there yeah. Tracy.
1: yeah i mean feel free to say that one again because that was yeah. just mind-blowing but basically at the end of every podcast I always ask our guests to give us uh, and the listeners their favorite quote or book that means so much to them and I didn't even get to actually say those words and you rattled off this most phenomenal quote (laughs) which I absolutely love. Um, and I've tried to write down but I was so busy in shock that I'm not sure if I wrote it down but if you have any other words of wisdom any other quotes that you absolutely love or whether it's a quote from a famous person or just something you say yourself that you want to share then go ahead (laughs) okay well
2: just a really simple one um, which I tell everybody is eat the rainbow every day
1: oh I love that that. eat the rainbow every day
2: everybody eats white everything we should eat the rainbow every day fruit and vegetables
1: oh, not skittles.
0: And that's not skittles by the no, way just skittles. for those that are um, thinking that skittles count they don't
1: natural colors please natural nutrients Yeah. Cool.
2: nutrients are everything they really are everything for your for your physical body and your mind they are everything
1: well i don't know about our listeners but i kind of thought that i knew a lot about a lot recently with to do with all this like mindset stuff and choices but you've blown my mind wide open and i've got a million things that i've scribbled down and I underlined that i want to go look at and i want to look into and um we're definitely going to be having some off off air conversations because um
0: yeah yeah and i think it's really important that and robin sharma for those that you don't know robin sharma um i've been just listening to some of his podcasts again Jay Shetty, everybody, Marissa Pia, our mentor, everybody's saying the same. It's all about mind, body, spirit, and soul. And those four pillars are really important to get them all in balance. So we've talked a lot about nutrition and feeding the body, but actually feeding the mind as well. They all work together. You know, if you if you work your body as a car, you need to put the right oil in, you need to put the right petrol in, but you also, when you drive the car, if it's a fast car, if you're not in control of that, and that process, you know, is really important because every habit of action does is led by a habit of thought. Um, and that thought is that you need to start making choices choice about how you think, choice about how you eat. Um, and, you know, with fear, you always have two choices you can rationalize it or you can talk yourself out of it. And that's a quote by Marissa Peer. And, and is it better to stay where you are and suffer forever or do the work now? And suffer for a short time and make yourself free. And the best quote of all is going to come from Harry Potter, I think, today, is that um, Dumbledore says to Harry in the Chamber of Secrets, it's our choices, Harry, that show what we truly are far more than our abilities. And I think that's come out from what you've said today. Absolutely. So go ahead end on a bit of Harry Potter. They know what, it <laughs> they know what it's about.
2: Right. <laughs>
0: So Nicola thank you, I've really enjoyed today and for me as somebody who's just left the public sector it's amazing that there's still people like you in there um, and my, my promise now certainly is to support all of those amazing people in our NHS, in our police, in our fire, in our prison service um, and all of the other public sector including our social services and local government because things ain't great at the moment, things ain't great. But when we work together, we think different and start to feed our minds and bodies with the right stuff. Things will start to happen. So on that note, unless anybody's got anything else, I think we can wrap it up there.
2: Nope, that's Excellent.
0: Great. So next week we're talking about trust and how trust will lead to transformation. And I think from the conversation today, that is a great segue for the next podcast next Friday. So Nicola, thank you very much. And Good. with that, we're going to say goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. Bye
1: you bye thank you goodbye if you enjoyed today's podcast why don't you come and join us at facebook.com forward slash talking underscore minds and don't forget to give us a little like thanks very much for listening see you soon